0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Come
2: on. Go! Hey guys, welcome to the Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name is Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix
1: with interviews with past and present rugby professionals. We get their views on the latest sporting issues.
2: All right, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Tapping Go podcast. Today we have someone who I admire both on and off the field, Mr. Billy Meeks. How are you doing, Billy?
0: Very well, thank you,
2: mate. How are you guys going? Yeah, doing all right, thanks. It's uh, it's sort of that awkward time now, isn't it, between like Christmas and New Year's, where you don't know if it's like Merry Christmas or Happy New Year, but for sure. Yeah. That was all right. <laughs> so you got both f-
0: both to play on. <laughs> so
2: we've got a few things we want to talk about today. And sort of like the first one I thought would be interesting was sort of your time with the rebels. What was it like sort of playing in like arguably the sporting capital of Australia?
0: Yeah, cool. Um great place to start. I've uh, got some awesome memories at the Rebels. Um obviously spent 3 seasons there. Um with some pretty amazing people and um you know, firstly probably what you touched on is the sporting capital of Australia without a doubt. Um you know, the Australian Open tennis there, we've got the Grand Prix there. Uh, obviously AFL is the national sport and um you know, that's where where most of it's played and then obviously we've got the rugby league, um the football and then the rugby union as well. So um it's an absolute sporting hub where we trained as the rebels we were sort of alongside the melbourne storm who obviously are a very successful rugby league team uh, and then we had collingwood and richmond sort of bordering us along with the football team so we all trained out of the same area um, with some amazing facilities and then you sort of just feed off the energy um, and then as i said i obviously got to play with some pretty incredible players at the rebels um, and yeah it's it's a place i'll hold you know close to my heart
2: yeah, so you touched on like the playing with the storm there. Did you ever sort of train with them? Because I know there are articles of like the Reds and Broncos pairing up in preseason. Was that ever a thing at the Rebels?
0: I think they've done it in the past with the Rebels and the Storm. Whilst I was there, we didn't do it. Um we obviously like I personally would spend a bit of time because we use the same pitch, um, and we go on and off the pitch sort of alternate times. So I'd always spend like ten or fifteen minutes at the back end of our session watching them train and warm up and stuff and um, you know, there's some guys that are generational players that were playing at the time that I was there, like Billy Slater and Cam Smith, and you know, those two legends of the game just to watch the way they operate. Um, you know, you can take a lot from that, and even just just a fanboy out and just sit there and watch them do their thing. So, uh, very fortunate to sort of rub shoulders with those guys every now and then,
2: yeah, sure. Like, Cam Smith, very interested to see what he's going to do next with uh, just winning the uh the competition uh so yeah so you mentioned about playing with like lots of i think in my opinion the rebels arguably have like the best back line out of all the super bau teams sort of got likes of yourself but also like reese hodge matt tamua uh dane haley petty marika what was it like so training like training must have been incredibly special
0: yeah training is is really special um it's definitely probably the most talented group of backs i've, I've had the pleasure of playing with um you know, when I first got down there, we had Will Ganeer and Quady inside me. Um, and then, you know, I had Frank Lamani, the Fijian nine, uh, Matt Tamura, as he said, Marika, Dane, Hodgie, um, Kells. Like, there was just, you just name it. We had a pretty much a full Wallaby back line. So um, training was extremely competitive. Um, you know, we, we drove a culture that was um, always just pushing each other to get better. And um, whilst we were extremely competitive on the pitch, we had a really good... Um, friendship off the pitch as well and we're a really tight group and um yeah i've got a I've got a lot of love for those guys and definitely learned a lot with my time I spent with them
2: yeah so you just touched on so you played um outside quay cooper in 2019 and matema in Twenty Twenty. was there sort of did you notice like obviously there's a big difference but did you prefer one style of play
0: uh, i don't think i preferred one i think i think i learned a lot from both they're both very different players um Quaid is quite a unique player in the sense that um, he sees the game in a way that not many other people do or no one else that I've ever played with does um, so it's probably just about adapting and playing to him because he is such a world-class player when he's on and um, you know he taught me a lot of things about playing flatter at the line putting your skill under pressure um, and just backing your skills um, whereas Maddie, Matty, Matty taught me a lot about the tactical side of the game um, and the kicking side of the game. He, he's a really good game manager. He's obviously been around the block, um, played over here for a while, international for a while. Um, so he was a really good, in terms of growing my game, outside my game that I already had. Um, but both, you know, very fortunate to play outside both. They're both very talented players and, you know, i have played however many times for their countries. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty lucky.
2: Yeah, it's like Quaid, obviously he's known for his flair and everything. And just like watching that 2019 season, it looked like you guys like clicked quite well. How did you sort of like sort of align yourself? Was it something that the coaches did or yourselves or?
0: Uh, I think, I think it's one of those things, you know, like when you hear someone signed at the club that you're already at and it's someone like Quaid, um, someone who I've met a couple of times at one camps, but not, not really spent much time with um, you sort of hope that you're going to get along. And, you know, me personally, I was very excited to play with him because I know how good he can be. Um, but he actually approached me during preseason, probably first or second week because we had a, quite a long preseason, and he, he approached me and he said, look, um, it's more than likely that you and I are going to be playing 10 and 12. Um, you know, let's let's take this all the way to the Wallabies. Let's be the best 10 and 12 in the country and anything you need, let me know. And anything I need, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. And he's, um, you know, he, he pushes the guys really hard. He's sort of a dickhead on the field, like in, in the best way possible. But, um, yeah, we, we just clicked off the field more than anything. Spent a lot of time together off the field. Uh, we live quite close to each other. We go out for dinner, go out for a few beers, um, go for coffee, stuff like that. Um so yeah, I think I think first and foremost, just getting getting together off the field, um, definitely showed on the field. And um, as I said before, like he was he's just the kind of guy that will sit you down and tell you to back yourself, which as simple as it sounds, coming from someone like that um is very powerful. So yeah, we 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 had a really good, really good click and um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with Quaidy. Yeah.
2: I mean, I just got one memory of like the try way did the little grubber in the left and you sort of skipped around and scored in the corner, which is always a good one. Um, so yeah, so yeah, when so, yeah, Matt Tamur like we obviously saw in the Wallabies when he got injured in the first couple of games, it sort of like sort of shifted the backline and like the mentality and defense. And you spoke about how he sort of the game management of him was really sort of on point. I'm sure it was sort of like, what, what does he bring to a team in terms of like um, as actually, a player?
0: Yeah. So he's got an extremely calm head. Um, again, he's, he's very good at taking control of the team. Um, you know, I feel like in, in most teams, there's a, there's a good spread of leadership around game calling and game management between maybe a couple of forwards, the locks that are calling the line out, and the nine and 10, and we're calling the back stuff. But, um, Pup's, Pup's really good at just taking onus on all of it. Um, he takes care of most of the calling for the team. Uh, and then he, he drives a lot of our meetings. He's big on, um, player led meetings, uh, I think that's something he picked up a lot over here. Um, he spoke up with involved. Hooper, didn't
2: he? Sorry, yeah, he spoke yeah. up with Hooper and uh, so he's very
0: like player led. He's very he's very player led and I uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he'll he'll sort of slide into that post rugby um, player welfare and sort of general management kind of stuff, but again, yeah, he he sort of came in and right from the off he was a, a very clear voice in our meetings. He he was big on having the coaches run the Monday Tuesday and then basically take a back seat for the rest of the week. So he could drive what he wanted to drive and um, yeah, I'd probably just say overall just a, an amazing leader um, with such a good knowledge of the game.
2: Yeah. Just a general, isn't he? So mm. I want to um, move on to sort of your transition to London Irish where you're at now. So if, it's your second time playing in the UK. How was the transition? Was it easier this time or? Uh, yeah, the first time was it? yeah.
0: First time was um, pretty random, but I mean, we can talk about that after, but coming back was definitely easier. Yeah. Um, Obviously, quite familiar with the Premiership. Um, I, I know all the teams, which I didn't when I first got here. I know a lot of the players now, which I didn't when I first got here. Um, and it's obviously quite comforting having a fair few Australians that I know quite well in the team. Um, Australians that are coaching always make the transition a bit easier. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely been a lot easier than it was the first time, um, but it still has its challenges. And obviously with everything going on right now, it's, it's not very normal, so
1: yeah. Obviously, when you signed on Irish, you knew it was, it was a short contract. So I think it was to the end of January, wasn't it? Does that yep. affect the way you approach the game, how you're going to play? No, uh, no, nah,
0: nah, I don't think so. I think um, I think I was really grateful for this opportunity because initially, when I finished up with the Rebels, um, I was meant to have five months off, so I was sort of just going to chill out, do my own training in Sydney, and just just relax. So um, if you had told me at the start of the year I was going to finish and then end up playing in the Premiership again, like you know, I wouldn't have believed you, but um, for whatever reason, an opportunity came up, and um, you know, I was in, I was on a play, and genuinely within seven days. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy, but I don't think it changes the way I wanted to play. I was just so excited to get here. Um, I love I love sort of starting to creep into an older player type role um, as I get a little bit more experienced. And um, having come played here before, and now now coming back again, um, seeing players that were in my position when I first was here, it's really cool to to be able to work with developing them. Um, and then for me obviously just trying to be the best player i can for london irish is, is really cool and um it's been great to get back out there to be honest
2: and what's the difference between playing 12 in australia and england like australia had that sort of like second ball player sort of like a real get your hands with the ball and distribute kind of style would you say because england has less of a focus on that at the 12 isn't it are you trying to adapt more or still have that characteristic
0: yeah i think um i think when i was at gloucester we probably had more of a focus i actually played more thirteen in there but um, in, in general, it was probably more around crash ball, um, gain line. Um, you can probably see even photos of me back then. I was about 103 kilos and I'm 92 kilos now. So, um, yeah, I think ball playing, I'm pretty fortunate that at um, London Irish, we actually do have an onus on having two, two ball players. Um, so it fits fits quite well for me and I haven't had to change too much. So it's come quite naturally. Uh, but, yeah, I'd probably say the majority of teams in the premiership um, have got a gain line type 12 Um which sort of suits the style of play over here, to be honest, depending on how you want to play. But, um, you know, just looking at the GPS meters from the last four or five games here compared to the Rebel season this year, it's significantly lower um, and less intense. But that's that's not to say the game's less intense. It's just far more physical, a little bit slower. Um, but probably you can, you can operate at a heavier weight um, to allow you to get game line, be a little bit more physical and dominant in that area. So... That's probably a couple of things that you can adjust to, but if if you're comfortable with your weight um, and you can still make your tackles, I suppose, and be dominant in the um, in the physical area, then you know I suppose you can get away with it. But um, yeah, as I said, lucky that London Irish sort of look at two ball players and play both sides of the ball, so that's that's been good for me.
2: Is that like an Australian influence thing, like you said, with the players and the coaches as well?
0: Yeah, I think it probably is. Um, I think I think teams in the prem that have had um, sort of influence from Australian and Kiwi coaches, you can get the sense that they like to throw the ball around a little bit more and play a little bit more. Um, and you can see that influence straight away when you get a coach from the Southern Hemisphere. So um, I suppose that's just the way we're used to playing it um, back home, so when coaches come over, it's only natural to try and try and do the same here.
2: Mm. And you recently had your game against Bath cancelled, didn't you, due to the virus? What was that sort of like as a player? It must be quite frustrating to sort of hear the news that it has to be cancelled.
0: Yeah, very frustrating. It's, um, you know, I feel like nothing this year can didn't shock us now. It was, it was almost just like it got announced, um, you know, we came in for training. It obviously got announced that one of the players had tested positive after the game, um, which obviously means that there was a couple of boys in the game that were close contacts. So, um, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a rule in the premiership that if you have two or three more close contacts that you have to uh, forfeit from the game, which is, you know, fair enough for safety reasons. But... Yeah, as I said, it's just another curveball that 2020 is throwing. It's been a pretty crazy year. Um, you know, I have I was in lockdown in Melbourne for two months, then Sydney for three months, back in Melbourne for a month. Like, I think this is my seventh month in lockdown. Um, so was, I'm just chasing him at the moment. But, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it was obviously very disappointing. That was a game that I de- definitely pencilled in that I was pretty keen for. Uh, yeah. Bath at the Wreck is, is uh, always a special game with fans or no fans. So to have that one wiped out... Um, yeah, is obviously pretty disappointing
2: well you mentioned the wreck so you've got your new stadium as well with london irish in um west london what's that like sort of playing there because i guess no one's done it before
0: mate it's so good it is so good i've had so many people ask me about it it's um it's it's hands down like one of the best stadiums i've ever played in the the facilities are world class it's obviously brentford brentford football club they they use it as well um so the decks obviously like carpet it's it's fantastic the stadium i'm not sure what the capacity is but it's probably similar to like a king's home it's quite small um whereby if it's if you fill it out it's going to be extremely loud you know we had one game it was two thousand fans there and it was it was rocking so um yeah, it's. I feel very lucky to play there, and every time I roll in, I'm just like, out oh, this place is this is awesome." So, um, I think it's great for the club to be back in London as well. You can see, you can see there's a bit of hype starting to build, um, albeit with COVID. But I think rolling into the new year, if we can start allowing fans and you know, get the ball rolling with some good performances. There's no reason why it can't become a bit of a fortress.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Do you think sort of, so you mentioned how the stadium is a bit smaller and sort of when it packs out, it's really booming compared to like the Australian stadiums where they're much bigger, but it's harder to pack out. Do you, do you think sort of there's one as a player, do you prefer one over the other or?
0: Oh, definitely smaller with, with a a bigger feeling crowd. Um, Is that a general sort of,
2: is that a commonly thought thing as a player uh, or is it just,
0: Oh, geez, I don't know. I'd, like, I'd probably I'd like to think so. Like yeah. um, those smaller stadiums when they're full, nothing beats it because it's. I mean, this this day and age with rugby at the moment, especially in Australia, unfortunately, it's it's quite hard to pack out a, a stadium um, any bigger than sort of twelve thousand unless you're playing at test level. So um, you know, I mean, obviously, all the Super Rugby teams, their stadiums are quite big. Um, so it's it's always going to be tough to fill them, and whilst it's still loud, it's quite noticeable that it's not full. Um, so yeah, I, I think playing here, like that's that's one of my favourite things about the premiership is is the home grounds and the crowds. It's just it's unrivalled anywhere that I've ever been. Hmm.
2: And I guess speaking of like new stadiums and new opportunities, your next one obviously to move to LA, the Goldies. What brought you over to America and sort of a new team? So like...
0: um, yeah, it's pretty random. I mean, if you if you look at it from the out, it's pretty random. But uh, it's been something that's sort of chipping away in the back um, in the background for a while and um yeah it's an opportunity that came to me probably three or four months ago and um i feel like as a rugby player if you take everything away if you could go to america and play rugby it seems like a pretty sweet deal and it's probably something that everyone as a professional rugby player has thought about um at one point and now it's starting to it's starting to really turn the screws in america um we've obviously got a few new, new teams um they're starting to attract a lot bigger bigger name players um There's a little bit more money involved over there. Their rugby programs are starting to really thrive. And I think it's actually just going to be a really good opportunity. I probably don't think it's where it needs to be right now in terms of the the level that it's at, but um, give it a couple of years. I've I've got every uh, belief that it's going to be right up there. So um, it was probably just an opportunity and the timing um, that I couldn't turn down right now. Um, My partner's going to be able to move out there as well. And it's just one of those things that, um, it's just really exciting to be a part of a team from the very start I've um, got a few mates going over as well and you know we're we're really looking forward to actually being super successful running a, a really tight ship and um, being as professional as we can so um yeah i mean it's a number of reasons as, as random as it is but um yeah
1: I'm, I'm really looking forward to it
2: and there's oh, a number yes. of like yeah sorry.
1: All right. So obviously there are the likes of Chris Robshaw, yourself who are now moving out to America. Do you think it has the potential to keep attracting these big names and potentially almost move the centre of rugby away from Europe and Southern Hemisphere towards America?
0: Yeah, no doubt. I think I think it definitely will. I think, as I said, it will probably take another couple of years um, to start drawing out people that are sort of mid mid age in their career. I think right now it's probably appealing to guys that are sort of on the back end um, or moving towards the back end um, as an option. But I think as the rugby develops and it's seen as a premier competition in terms of quality, um, you'll start to see even better players at a younger age go out there to develop. Um, You know, obviously it's going to be a pretty amazing opportunity lifestyle wise, but um, if you can add the professionalism and an awesome level of rugby as well, then there's no reason why it won't rival everywhere. So um, yeah, I've got no doubt it's going to be quite a big opportunity for a lot of players.
1: I think the yeah. amount of money we have to chuck at that program it's just it's unrivaled as compared to Europe and some hemisphere so that should, if the stats are true that should suggest that in 5 years time American rugby in America should just be unparalleled
0: yeah exactly it's it's a no brainer and and as as much as we as much as players like to deny it, you know money talks and there's a lot of money over there and if, bo- if boys are getting offered um you know double what they are to play here um and they can go and play in a competition that's just as good then you know, they're gonna be on a plane as soon as possible. So um, yeah, it's exciting times ahead for rugby in America. And as I said, the the youth program and all the academy systems they're really start trying to start build them up now as well. So it would be cool to get involved in that side of things.
2: Yeah, I quite like how they sort of have that like American twist where like they got the draft coming in and I guess the academy as well. But I guess another cool thing about moving to the guillotine is is I guess it's LA itself, it's sort of firstly the sun is amazing and sort of the climate and everything but it's another sporting city isn't it sort of like the lakers and clippers and sort of the rams and so on are you excited to just get involved with the sport there as well
0: definitely mate like obviously la was a a huge draw card for me personally um obviously the sporting hub i've been there a couple of times on holiday but haven't spent too much time there but obviously loved it um and i think I think, um, you know, obviously I've been involved with a number of meetings now with our coaches and management and a few players as well. And, um, you know, there's obviously a, yet, like a few things yet to be announced around where we're training and um, playing and stuff like that. But it's, um, yeah, some exciting announcements to be made. And, you know, we're, we're very lucky to be a part of this club because the owner is um, definitely backing it the right way. And he's really sinking his teeth in. And it's going to be one hell of a journey for the boys that are involved. And...
1: Um, yeah, just for rugby in general in America, it's going to be pretty special. I think it has been announced that your home stadium will be the Coliseum, which obviously any American football fan will know it's unparalleled stadium. <laughs> do you think that it will have the same effect and that they'll manage to pack it out like they do with the LA Rams to be able to? Have-
0: uh, yeah, I mean it's yeah it's it's huge. <laughs> I've done I've, I've done some looking, but um, initially, obviously, it's going to have to be a snowball sort of thing. It's um you know they're doing everything they can at the moment to get as many people on board. Um, obviously to get it packed out is, is a big target and that's that's something that the owner is, is not shied away from and I know speaking to our general manager that, that was his one mission that he got told by the owner you need to pack this thing out so um, good luck to him I suppose but we'll, we'll just try and win games and everyone loves a winning team so I think they got some pretty exciting things lined up around the entertainment side of things as you can imagine um, American style so um, yeah it's going to be pretty interesting and looking forward to seeing how it goes
2: I mean they present themselves as like a fun team, don't they? Like if you look on their Instagram, like the promotions, I mean the coaches look great. I mean, thinking about like Stephen Hoyles and so on coming in and the name itself. I mean, I think sort of as a spectator and as a fan sort of what you want to watch is like a winning side and sort of a fun place to be. And I think potentially they've got both.
0: Yeah, and I think um I think it's just that balance between having a good time and working hard. Um and it's something that's so often got wrong in teams not not for any particular reason but um i think they've got a real opportunity basically as a startup business um to set the foundations as these are our these are our standards around right we're going to have a good time um we're going to get people involved it's going to be entertaining it's going to be a hell of fun but you know, one condition is that we have to win um you know i think once once everyone's announced in our team it's going to be pretty evident that they've gone pretty hard sorry. sorry Siri's getting involved it's gonna be it's it's gonna be pretty hard to um you know deny how hard they've gone at getting this team up and running. So um yeah, I think first and foremost it's about winning and uh we've got some amazing coaches and players that are gonna drive a, a high standard and then um obviously right from the name of the team, which is you know, they're named after a cocktail is you know it's mad, but it is what it is, you know, it's pretty cool. Um and they're just doing things their way and um you know if you enjoy that get on board and you know this is the way it's going to be done so i'm really looking forward to that and it sounds
1: like it's going to be a lot of fun as well
2: all righty guys it's that time again time to pay for the pints
1: today's podcast has been brought to you by our mates over at team blazers big shout out to them the great british blaze company kidding you out for every match day social check them out now
2: so on that like, topic of sort of balancing fun and sport, I want to make a slight segue and talk about the Barbarians, which you were <laughs> lucky to be a part of. What was that like sort of experience in terms of, I guess, both rugby and also socially?
0: Um, it was, It's it's got to be the best thing I've ever done in rugby. It's like, it's so hard to, to explain. Like I, I was smiling ear to ear after I got over my hangover when I got back to Australia, I was smiling ear to ear, like for weeks telling people about, it. I could not stop talking about it. Like um, firstly, we were really lucky to get on on the tour. There was It was myself and a couple of other Rebels guys cause there was obviously internationals at the time and we were sort of the next tier down. So um, yeah, to get on that tour was amazing. It was a three week tour, um, England, Brazil, Wales. Like who gets to go to Brazil with the Barbarians for a week? Like it's just insane. Um, but, you know, right from the off, you know, it's everything and anything you can imagine, you know, you rock up, you sit in a room, you crack open a beer, you get your kit, which is obviously as a player, like the coolest part about being a player growing up, you know, you get your kit, you're like far out, I got my bar kit. Um, you know, you get given your money for the week and then you just sit around and enjoy a few beers together and get to know each other. And then you're sitting across the room from like people you grow up watching, um, people you still admire, you've got a coach over there that's like one of the best in the world and just all this history with the club. And then they just have stuff planned every week. Um, minimal, minimal rugby stuff. There's maybe one or two training sessions a week. Um, maybe one, maybe we probably went to the gym twice in three weeks, um, but just a lot of social stuff and they just do it the right way. And I remember when I got back and I was I sort of came to the Rebels, I was speaking with the coaches and I just said like, there's gotta be something in this because whilst we did have really good players, we still performed to a level that was basically almost international um, with little to no training based purely on just connections as a group um, and creating an atmosphere where everyone can just express themselves. So um, between myself, Angus and Jonesy who were there, we sort of sat the coaches down and said, these are the things we did. Obviously, it's quite extreme. You can't do this with the Super Rugby team, but there's no reason why we can't implement some of it um, and drive the social side of things so i reckon it had a huge effect on our, our rebel season um, and our social side of things so i just learned so much and it, it sort of takes you back to why you love playing rugby sitting in the change room having a beer having a coffee with the boys and just not worrying about training um not worrying about watching your clips from training what were your gps meters what's your body flat at the moment that kind of stuff like which all has its place right now in the professional era but it's just yeah, it's just peeling everything back to to why you love the game, and it's it was such a special experience.
1: You have any stories from that a couple of weeks? The of barbards,
0: uh, just Rory Best, just being the loosest person I've ever come across. Um, absolute legend. Him between him and Bustero, just absolutely crushing beers. It was um, a pretty entertaining week, but no, nothing too. Oh, what do we have? I don't know if you know um, Hankus Van Wyk. He's a he's a hooker played at the Sun Wolves. Um, He's actually going to America now as well. I'm not sure where he's going, but he is as loose as they come. And he was sort of our ringleader and would lead the charge and just for some reason would never get hung over. Anyway, we went out, we got invited to this golf course. Um, there's a few keen golfers, sculpt myself, Dave Havili, um, Hankus, and a few other blokes. We got invited to this to this golf course in Brazil from this guy. I'm trying to, I'm trying to cut the story down, but I've got to explain how the golf course fitted in. This guy he, he doesn't let anyone play on this course he, he tried to build and he's, he's super rich obviously he tried to build this course that was top 100 in the world but to have a top 100 course you need to have a certain amount of people go through there and play it and rate it so the only people that have ever played there are people that rate courses like he won't let pros play there he doesn't really let famous people there. there but he just loves rugby so we sculpt brits got in touch with him and we managed to, to book a tea time so it's, it's on his private property it's it's in the top 100 courses in the world um and we went, we went there, and we sort of didn't know what to expect. The, the guy was, um, the guy that owned it was quite old, but his son was a bit of a larrikin, and he, he was he got us all on the beers before we teed off. It was like eleven AM tee off. Sat down, had brekkie with a few beers. Um, we we're all like a bit pissed before we start playing. Um, and then I think it was in a four ball, three ball it was myself, Dave Pavilion, and Hankers. And it was like six holes in. Hankers lights up a cigarette, and we're like because him and the owner were smoking cigars the whole round he lights up a cigarette and then he drives his cart off. We tee off. Drives his cart off, goes for a piss or something, and then puts his cigarette out in this tree and then, like, drives off and we're on the green. We're putting, gets to the next tee, and we're just sort of looking over. And there is, like, the biggest thing of smoke coming up from this, like, area. And we're just like, what is going on? And Hankus is, like, gets in his gets in his um cart, like, piss bolts to the tree. And he's, like, waving us over. We get over there. This tree is, like, genuinely on fire. So he's like going back to the clubhouse, got all the staff to come over, and they've got hoses putting out this. Thing. He's almost lit this fucking hundred top one hundred course on fire. Um I got some amazing videos of it, but yeah, that was probably probably the loosest thing that happened in terms of almost ruining a, a billionaire's golf course.
2: I'm sure he just carried on playing after that, so yeah, <laughs> of completed course. the eighteen holes. Of course, <laughs> so we actually did. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so no, that's I want to. So I want to sort of move on and t- sort of talk away from rugby and now talk about sort of like your interests outside and I know you're sort of interested in this like business entrepreneurship idea and you got your own apparel company with a bald co. How did that sort of interest start about?
0: Um, yeah I reckon so the Bold co stuff um, sort of came about I think it was like a year and a half ago now I've always had an interest in fashion I've loved sort of um, men's clothing sort of doing things a bit different I suppose and just enjoying that side of stuff away from the field um and then obviously being bald um sort of I sort of had this idea one day where like I obviously wear hats I used to wear hats anyway when I had hair because I just like wearing hats and then I sort of had this idea when I was thinking like when I was bald I was like does this person know that I'm bald or they think I'm wearing a hat because I'm bald like how would they know if I'm bored if I'm wearing a hat sort of thing? I don't want people to think I'm wearing it because I'm bored because I don't give a fuck. Um, so I was like, right, I'm just going to make a few hats, put balls on it so they know that I'm bored, but I'm just wearing a hat because I want to wear a hat. And it sort of just started off like that. And I was like, oh, like I got in touch with a few mates that had some businesses as well, and I got in touch with the manufacturer. Um, and then we just started making some really basic stuff. Um, and then it's sort of just grown from there. It's, it's never something that I started to, you know, make up some money or like dive fully into after rugby it's just something that I've got on the side that um is is a bit of fun I'm learning a lot about um sort of online business the do's and don'ts um and you know we had some pretty cool ideas around sorry one of my mates joined sort of bought into the business and he's doing the marketing side of things moving forward but um we had some cool ideas around doing some stuff for summer but with COVID our, our manufacturing um Place got shut down, so we've just found a new one, and yeah, it's a cool journey. Like, it's something that I'm enjoying, um, sort of in the men's fashion space, and just something ticking me along outside rugby. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Do you do you have sort of like is this completely like do you have like one brand or something that you're sort of looking, think, all right, that's really cool, or does it completely like you know, um, do what you want to do?
0: No, it sort of changes a bit. Like, I I went through a phase a couple of years ago where I actually, weird as it sounds, enjoyed like really dressing up, like wearing suits, shirts. Um, you know, chinos, nice shoes, that kind of stuff. But I sort of just got out of that phase and felt really uncomfortable in that kind of stuff, and it just didn't really feel like me. So I, I sort of, you know, in the last couple of years have turned more to like streetwear and sort of oversized, um, real casual stuff. Um, I think there's a, there's a, I don't know if you know him. There's a designer called Jerry Lorenzo, who's um, an American designer. He's got a label called Fear of God, and his stuff is just like the the top shelf of men's fashion in my opinion so like he's he's someone that i follow quite closely um and then just all the vintage stuff like it's obviously pretty hot right now like everyone's sort of jumping on the train and i was probably one of those people to be honest but um yeah that side of things i I really enjoy the vintage stuff and um sort of exploring like different shirts that were one-offs from whatever year it was and sort of looking into that side of things
2: absolutely it's sort of like when you go into like this idea or business when you're only doing it just because you're interested in whatever it's awesome because you can it's like undefined it's unscripted you can do whatever you want you don't have any like pressure or anything so i think that's really cool um so so another thing so like looking through instagram is that uh you're i guess over lockdown perhaps like you got really into like meditation wasn't it and sort of breathing techniques and so on what how did that sort of start about
0: um yeah i have like it's been it's been awesome it's been something that i probably never would have started given what this year's been. But um, Matt Phillip is a real close, good, close friend of mine. I lived with him for three three years, um, the Force and the Rebels for a couple of years. But he's really big into that stuff, um, the mental side of things and something I actually used to pay him out about when I first lived with him. Um, and then when it all started, I started just trying to meditate um, five minutes every day, just see what it's about and definitely struggled at the start because it's such a weird thing, especially for an active person. Um, And especially just for like men in general who are playing sport, it's to sit down and spend 10 minutes on your own doing absolutely nothing is such a foreign thing to do, but um, it's become something now that I actually, I I, like I probably wouldn't go a day without it um, unless I was traveling or had something on. So um, yeah, I think I'm on like 220 days, almost straight missed a few in between, but um, it's just been something cool that it's, it's now a time in my morning that no one else can take away from me. I, I just sit somewhere where I can't be disturbed. Um, and just ten minutes to just just chill and breathe. Um, and it's a consistent thing no matter where I am in the world that I can I can do and just provides me a bit of routine. Do
1: you think it positively impacts your game as well as a rug player? Do many other rug players that you know sort of in your squads actually go out of their way to meditate and sort of make it part of their routines? I think I think a lot of players do, yeah. I've had um I don't think it's probably
0: shown as much actually i don't think anyone really shows it um besides me and that's part of the reason why i do show it is to to sort of show people that it is it is actually quite normal for athletes to do this kind of thing Um, you know i have boys come up to me weekly saying that like they've, they've been doing it for a while or this is the app they use and this is the ones they've been following and it's probably the number one thing that people get in touch with me about um on social media is sort of that side of things and the routine side of things. so It's definitely something people are interested in. I don't know if it's a bit of a taboo subject still. um, But um, for me personally, it's definitely grown my game. Um, You know, it's probably not a tangible thing that I can say. It's grown my game for X reason. But in terms of the way I feel um, and the way I approach each week, it's definitely more structured. And um, that morning 10 minutes definitely sort of drives that side of things.
2: Mm. And it puts you in like a mindset where you're thinking, right, I'm going to, I'm dedicated to this thing and I'm going to put minutes into it and hours in the end of the week. But yeah. yeah, well, Billy, thank you very much for jumping on our podcast. I think that's all that we got for today, but really fascinating story hearing about your time where pretty much everywhere, every continent and off to LA next, which <laughs> should be absolutely awesome. And we'll for sure follow yeah, you good. there. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
2: Cheers. No Cheers. Awesome. Thank you. That was. Thanks, boys. Really interesting. I'm actually no off to the US myself, hopefully, and play a bit there, but off to university. So... Oh, sick. Where do you boys live? I'm in London at the moment, but yeah.
1: I'm just near Oxford, so just outside. Nice.
0: Lockdown life, eh? How's it going? Yeah.
2: Bored? Yeah, it's not great, is it?
0: Shit, but, eh?
2: And tier four just going everywhere sort of yeah. ruins it. Yeah. I
0: know, oh, but well. the cases are just insane. Like, mm. like Sydney, Sydney at the moment, I was speaking to my missus before, and they're like, they have like 20 cases a day and they're locked down. And we've got like forty thousand or something. Um, yeah, like it's just insane.
2: It's the way to do it, though, isn't it? Just kind of get rid of that stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, as people living in Australia already know. But yeah. yeah. It's well, well, thank you very much. Hopefully, thanks, boys. I'll come support you in LA one day. That'll be awesome.
0: Yeah, hit me up. Let's do another one when I get there. It'll be it'll be cool to.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: About it, like, some pretty cool things going on.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, yeah.
0: boys. Have a good one.